Al-Jazeera podcast. EU energy ministers meet again and fail again to strike a deal to cap the price of natural gas. Prices have soared since Russia invaded Ukraine and the bloc wants to hurt Moscow. But can the deep divisions within the EU be overcome? Hello, I'm Adrian Finnegan. This is the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help to define major global stories. So let's bring in our guests for today's discussion. From Bern, we're joined by Cornelia Meyer, the CEO of Meyer Resources and Energy Policy Advisory. From Moscow, Chris Weifer, the CEO at Macro Advisory, a strategic consultancy focused on Eurasia. And from Warsaw, Wojciech Szybilski, the editor-in-chief of the political magazine Visegrad. Welcome to you all. Cornelia, let's start with you. What exactly is a price cap on gas designed to do? Hurt Russia? or protect EU consumers, or both? And will it work? I think it's it's designed to do both, but I'm not sure it's effective on either. Um, it's designed to make sure that prices don't go too high. Um, as we have seen, you know, in summer, prices went so high that people really feared for, for how they could supply they could supply their 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 population adequately, and it's also s- supposed to put a cap on 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 the Russian on what Russia can earn. But you have to understand that when you look at gas um, before the Ukraine war, about forty percent of um, all gas coming to Europe came from. Um, came from Russia. In Germany, it was 55%. Since then, it's really gone down to about 17%. And people are putting on offshore liquid, um, offshore reef gasification terminals, all sorts of things to make sure they can get more LNG, admittedly more expensive. But Europe is not only slowly and steadily, very quickly weaning itself off its total dependency on Russian gas. All right. So, Cornelia, if, um, as you say, the, the dependence upon Russian gas has fallen, why are certain EU member states... Um, why do they feel it's so important to introduce this price cap then? Why are they trying to push it through? Well, they're pushing it through because some countries really very much still depend on Russian gas. If you look at an Austria, if you look at, you know, uh, Slovakia and, 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 and those bordering states, they still really need, and some states in the Western Balkans, they still need Russian gas. So they want to avoid that too much money goes to Russia and, and, and into the war efforts. But, um, but it's a matter, you know, this is a matter over the next 12, 18 months looking forward it's really a matter of where will the gas for Europe come from, but it will be a lot more expensive. LNG is more expensive than Russian pipeline gas, which comes from the Western, um, the Western Siberian gas fields on an infrastructure that's basically paid off. So you're having new infrastructure, more expensive gas. So it's um, so prices are going to go up in Europe no matter what. Chris Weifer, in Moscow, how would Russia react then if a cap on the price of Russian gas was implemented? I mean, will it hurt Russia at all? Can it, or can it get, a, get around the cap? Well, um, first of all, I have to say that there is much less uh, commentary uh, and certainly much less debate about the proposed gas price uh, cap than there is uh, or has been about the oil price cap. 
Um, certainly, we, we've seen a, a very fierce political reaction to the proposed oil price cap. Uh, even we're now expecting that uh, President Putin will sign legislation making it illegal for any Russian producer to sell oil under the terms of the oil price cap. There has not been or hardly any commentary about the uh, gas price cap. But one of the reasons is because the price level that's been indicated at 275 euros at TTF, uh, the benchmark price, uh, the, the price of gas has only ever been above that rate for uh, only a few days in August. Uh, the current price is, is almost half that level. It's about 130. Uh, so that's one reason why there's kind of much less excitement about this in Russia, because the levels are being set so high. And also, I think the other reason is because, of course, Russia does have options when it comes to transferring oil. And um, we see, see a great effort now to secure tankers and other routes to shift oil to Asia. You can't do that with gas, of course, because it's pipeline uh, routed. So I think for now, the position in Moscow is they're simply waiting to see what is agreed, what will be the impact, uh, and I then we'll, only then will we get a reaction from but, but, Moscow. But it's, it's, right. if itself, it's not going to have much damage. Chris, let me just uh, clarify. Because, of course, volume's already down anyway. Yeah, let me clarify what you were saying there. That the, the, the current price of gas is is well below where this this cap is 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 thought it's going to be implemented. So I mean, it's not going to make much difference. No, it's not. The current price is 130 euros, and the price cap proposal is 275. So it's it's a long, long way off it. Uh, I, I'm assuming that the reason why Europe wants to agree this is because they're looking forward to next year. Really, uh, probably Europe is not going to have much of an energy problem this winter. There's already enough gas has been secured. Uh, as the previous speaker said, there's been very big imports of LNG, uh, and so reserves are high. And, and this should, shouldn't be a problem this winter. But it's it's already looking like a much more dangerous situation for Europe coming into to next winter. Uh, may not be able to get the same LNG supplies next summer as they uh, as it got this summer because China did not buy as much LNG as it contracted and therefore allowed that LNG to go to Europe. If the Chinese economy recovers, as it now appears to be, then China will take that LNG and Europe won't get it. So the position, therefore, is we could be looking at a much higher gas price and greater volatility in the gas market this time next year. And I think the mechanism, therefore, is aimed at that rather than anything more immediate. Wojciech, what's Poland's position on this? It's one of the countries that's pushing hard for this cap, isn't it? Yes, Poland is one of the countries that pushes hard for the cap, but is also one of the countries that has been for a long time pushing for uh, European energy independence or interdependence by uh, proposing and pushing for the uh, energy packages that would build up a European energy market as a whole and not disconnect and divided market of nation states that has been abused by the other players like Russia for their own benefit and uh, weakening, uh, weakening the bloc. Currently, the, the gas price uh, uh, cap is being pushed down as much as possible by countries like Poland and I believe Lithuania as well. Um, should there be a big disagreement of that on, on that on that price? I, I don't think so. Of course, there, there is there is there is something behind the door and closed doors that we that we don't know yet uh, what it's coming uh, to be. But it's part importantly. It's it, it, we have to remember it is part of a broader effort called. Repower EU. It's a commissioned effort to make Europe as a bloc more independent 
from uh, weaponizing uh, gas prices, uh, gas deliveries, energy deliveries to Europe uh, by uh, specifically Russia, but any other actors uh, in, in the future. And it's a long-term strategy. So just like my previous speaker said, it's about building up um, a resilience for the next year and the future year in terms of uh, acting together as a bloc and not disunited as nation states markets. But does Poland have any sympathy for landlocked countries like Hungary and Austria, who, of course, you know, uh, uh, don't have ports to take LNG um, uh, and, and don't want a cap on, on Russian gas? That's the whole point of building interconnectivity. Poland has been at the forefront of proposing interconnectors and building, in fact, since 2008, nine, uh, the gas crisis when Russia was turning off uh, their, their uh, delivery of gas to Europe, specifically Central Europe has been hit. Poland, uh, uh, along with other countries of Central Eastern Europe, and Germany and many other countries have been starting to build, by, uh, with European support, uh, so-called interconnectors to make the gas market truly European and not landlocked to, to nation states. So Austria and Czechia and Slovakia and Hungary, they're being uh, offered and they're, being, they're having uh, in, these interconnectors built to make uh, the, the energy market and the gas market specifically uh, fully accessible to all Europeans and to be more resilient against such kind of blockades by uh, by rogue actors. Cornelia, let's, let's um, continue with this idea of, of, of the interconnected world, the EU energy independence, co-interdependence. Um, is, that, is that wishful thinking, do you think? There will never be independence, but interconnected. We uh, Europe started to build interconnectors actually way before 2008. They started when they rehabilitated, when actually US money rehabilitated the Gazprom um, pipelines. There were interconnectors built from Zeebrugge in um, in. Uh, in, in, in Holland, you know, with, with the North, North Sea um, British gas. So this has been a trend and it's really important because we get gas from Algeria. You know, we get gas from, from the Mediterranean. Then we get all the LNG in Spain, in the Mediterranean, in Holland, in England, in, um, in, in, in now in Germany. So yes, this interconnectivity is really important. So gas becomes more fungible. The problem with gas is oil is you find oil and oil will find the market. As um, our previous speaker, Mr. Weaver said, you know, there's been now a big shadow fleet bought, especially by the Russians, to ship um, oil to places where who do not adhere to the oil price cap. That's not possible with, with gas unless it's LNG, with pipeline gas. So these interconnectors are really the key to make um, to make gas fungible. And yes, Europe has been working on this actually since about 1998 from various places, and um, and and it needs to it needs to speed that up. Chris, there in Moscow, what what impact are, 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 are sanctions against Russia having on ordinary people? I mean, you talked about the fact that people are far more worked up, up about a, a price cap on oil than they are on, on gas. Is is any of this having any impact on daily life there in Russia? Uh, well, these issues are, are not obviously obviously the debate about oil price uh, and uh, and dealing with sanctions very much at a, at a kind of government level or at the economist level. But ordinary people, you know, going about their daily life, people are of course. 
uh, uh, are, are aware and are affected by, say, the, the travel bans, uh, the fact that Russians can no longer cross the border into the Baltic countries or Poland, etc. Uh, price increases uh, we've seen this year because of trade disruptions. Um, and there is a general concern about what will be the economic impact next year. People are generally more aware that uh, Russia is now entering a phase you know, where the accumulation of sanctions is going to start having a bigger impact on economy, on jobs, and therefore their, their lives. So there's, there's, there's general concern, therefore, about the accumulation and the impact of sanctions. People are not talking about oil price cap or gas price cap or, or, or any of those specific issues. That's clearly at the government level. And as I say, all of the government discussion has been about the oil price, not the gas cap. Mm. And, you know, and again, you have to look, look at the two things. One is of course, is there's been a big disruption on gas volumes. Obviously, Nord Stream 1 was suspended and, and then uh, it, it's now been taken out of action. Uh, so volumes of gas going into Europe through the, the Druzhba pipeline and through the Turkish 2 pipeline are much less than, than, than usual. That's a much bigger factor in terms of economic pact, the fact that Russian volumes have been substantially uh, re reduced. And, uh, you know, and the prices, I say, uh, this year we've seen a big jump in price, but Russia's been used to a very low price, much less than 100 for, for, uh, for every year up to this year. So I really don't think, therefore, even if there is a gas price cap put in place at anything above 100 TTF, I don't think the Russians are going to react to it in anything like the same way as they've reacted to the oil price cap. I think they'll live with it. All right, let's, let's talk about the, the, the EU's apparent inability to, to come to any sort of deal to find unity on, on this. Wojciech, at, at the beginning of the programme, we pointed out that the Czech energy minister said that his fellow ministers could face a reputation risk if they don't agree uh, on this cap to stop future price uh, spikes. Now, if 90% of the deal is done, what's the problem and what is preventing it getting over the line time and time again? Well, we can only assume, as we have no um, credible uh, account of you know, any report that would, that would testify what, what is happening behind the closed door, but there are always countries in EU that uh, use cards uh, to negotiate their um, individual interests uh, on potentially even disconnected from this particular energy policy. And uh, countries like that, uh, for instance, Hungary, have been oftentimes using uh, the, uh, the need to agree on certain common foreign policy agenda as a, as a token in negotiating uh, some, something completely different along with, with the other countries. Uh, regarding rule of law or regarding some other types of funding that they are seeking, so um, I would not um, I, I would not be surprised that again a country like this or the, the one that I mentioned or another uh, may be uh, finding it hard to agree at first because it's seeking um, a side deal. It's, there is a parallel negotiation coming uh, going on with with. Um, with respect to, to the individual interests of, of that given country. But that's purely speculative. That's, however, the logic, usually decisions are being reached, that these deals are being done. And we've seen that in the, in the support of Hungary for the 18 billion uh, support, uh, 8 million euro support package for Ukraine only this week, week which, is, uh, which has been opposed by Hungary previously. And Hungary agreed to that in exchange, in direct exchange, for um, ma making us a few steps back by the European Commission in terms of cutting funds for rule of law uh, conditionality.
Cornelia, is any of this going to make any difference at all for consumers, people like you and I, when we pay our, our gas or electricity bills? Um, uh, this is all uh, academic uh, at the moment, but could a price cap on gas ultimately drive prices higher? You said that you think it, it would fail. Will we still be paying more for our gas and electricity regardless? We... We will be paying more for our gas and for our electricity because even if we have a gas, a gas price cap and even if the gas prices, as Mr. Weaver pointed out, you know, very rarely was the gas price above the price of the, the, the price cap. But when you look at the getting redirecting trade flows is always a very expensive undertaking, whether that's now oil or whether that's gas and especially with gas. And LNG is a lot dearer, a lot more expensive. So as we are weaning ourselves off Russian gas and use more LNG and more gas from other sources, which will be more expensive, yeah, obviously we will have to, 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 to deal with that. And it then depends on how our utilities buy the gas, when they buy it, how they buy it. And um, when we look at it now, Europe was extremely lucky that China had the zero COVID policy and the economy didn't really boom. So a lot of cargoes, as Mr. Weaver said, were redirected to Europe where they could get better prices. But once China picks up, and then there's this East Asian, um, you know, place, which is uh, China, Korea, Japan, which are the largest um, consumers of LNG. Once that consumption picks up, you know, you will need, Europe will need to pay a lot to, to entice um, cargoes to come here. And what we have in store, though, is U.S. LNG, but that's per, that is still in the permitting process and we're still about three to five years off from that hitting the market. So, you know, gas and oil are not light switches. These are, these are, these, 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 um, infra this infrastructure takes time to create and it takes time to redirect the, the trade flows. So yes, in short, it will get more expensive for the European consumer. Chris, do you, do you, do you agree with what Cordelia was saying? Not, not about the European consumer, but about where Russia will sell its gas if it can't sell it to Europe. Um, yes, and I think, look, there's, there's a difference, obviously, what discussion on the gas cap uh, from oil, because the oil cap is very specific to Russia, but the gas cap proposal is will affect all gas uh, purchased by Europe. And I think it is right to focus on LNG. Uh, the headlines uh, will, will certainly focus on, on piped gas, because that's coming from Russia, therefore it's targeting uh, Russia. So you get the political headlines. But the much more serious issue is, what will be the price cap on LNG? Will there be a price cap on LNG? Because that is a more portable, movable product. If Europe caps the price and demand uh, you know, from Asia and elsewhere spikes, those tankers will simply turn around and go elsewhere. So I think Europe will have to be extremely careful on what will be the price cap mechanism and the review mechanism for LNG uh, rather than for, for, for pipe gas, because we know the future 
uh, as we've, we've heard, uh, is to try and, and acquire more and more LNG because it can be sourced from different places, reduce piped gas, particularly from, from, from Russia. Uh, so the question of price cap on LNG, I think, is much more critical than the price cap on the oil or the gas coming in from, from Russia. Because yeah, if we get a strong recovery in the Asian markets, they will pay a lot more for the gas and Europe could end up with gas shortages uh, in addition to higher prices, if they don't, if they get this pricing mechanism wrong. Wojciech, is is there much appetite in the EU to cap the price of of LNG? Well, I I don't know about the particular issue here whether there is much appetite in Europe, but there is much appetite in Europe uh, for uh, broad uh, energy uh, package reform okay. in the and the Repower EU program. That includes the gas, uh, the gas caps. Uh, it's also about introducing, um, essentially, the framework of a common European market and innovation in terms of getting more greener alternative energies, more effective and uh, um, energy sources, and uh, lowering the consumption level. So we need to look at it from a holistic perspective of what the EU, uh, meaning the Commission and the EU countries, want to achieve here. And there is a general agreement in the, in the, the direction it is going. There is, uh, of course, there, there are some uh, concerns that my, uh, my co-speakers have already mentioned, and they are supported by European, National, uh, European uh, Central Bank that also is worried about uh, not making the right call on the price cap in terms of the level of the price cap that may create shortages. And this concern is being, uh, on the other hand, weighted by the immediate effect of introducing a price cap, which is expected by countries like Central, Central European ones, like Poland, to have a direct and immediate effect on the incomes uh, levels of Russia, through which Russia funds the war effort okay. in Ukraine. There, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it. We are out of time. Thank you to you all, Cornelia Meyer, Chris Wiefer, and Wojciech Szabilski. And that's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Nihad El Abedi, Isaba Amutlu, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Renjith Kurian. The program was edited by Anivan Sarkar, Lennon Guyan, and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thanks for listening. Tune in on Thursday to join us again. <laughs>